Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten about. So this marks my first episode as a 28-year-old. That is two years older than Ashley Darby in season one of Real Housewives of Potomac. That's also five years older than Jess when she won Rock of Love season one. I'm not sure how to process these hard truths quite yet, but I will say my birthday was lovely. I had every intention to wear a leopard print mini dress that I thrifted during my Sopranos watch, but unfortunately I hate how it looks on me, so I simply cut it into a crop top and I wore that with a black mini skirt and black thigh-high boots. I did it for Adriana Laserva, R.I.P. Aaron took me to dinner at my beloved Goo, where we ate on a heated patio and we ordered and paid via QR code. Do not breathe on essential workers and tip them well. It wouldn't be me if I didn't describe the meal explicitly. So at this time, I'm going to read directly from the Goo menu to paint a picture further. Sweet sesame and soy tossed yu choy gomai. Sea salt based duck and fish broth ramen topped with sous vide pork shoulder cha su, yu choy, soft boiled egg, sliced red chili pepper, and yuzu zest. Chef's choice three kind sashimi, which in our case was scallops, tuna, and salmon. Ponzu dressed seared tuna sashimi on sliced onions topped with scallion and garlic chips. Eight pieces of seared pickled mackerel sushi served with Japanese mustard and shiso. Pan fried udon noodles with beef, mushrooms, and scallion topped with bonito flakes and seaweed. Last but not least, homemade sea salted sake kasu ice cream. 10 out of 10, everything was delicious, beautifully plated. It was all great. I honestly wish that Goo would sponsor this podcast because I've stand for years. Friendly reminder, if you've forgotten, since I feel like I talk about Goo every single episode, there are locations both in Vancouver and Toronto. If I had to pick my standout dishes, it would probably be the tuna tataki and salted sake ice cream, the former of which we order every single time ever since I first went to Goo like four years ago. But yeah, everything rocked my world, so it's really splitting hairs to name my favorite. You can see pics of every course as well as me and my makeshift crop top on my personal Instagram at Botox Groupon. You can follow if you want, but if you simply want to look at the food pictures and leave, that's your prerogative. Although I enjoyed a beautiful day along with some beautiful gifts from my beautiful friends, I have to share with you the greatest gift of all. I know that this will 100% sound like I'm making it up, but I promise that I'm not. The occurrence surrounding this rumor absolutely happened, but I want to make it clear this rumor is completely unconfirmed and alleged. I personally choose to believe it just for fun, and I encourage you to make up your own mind. 
But yeah, there's the disclaimer. I first came across this urban legend on Tumblr on one of my mutuals blogs, and then I recently saw it parroted on Dumois. If you don't know, Dumois is a blind item in celeb gossip Instagram. It's really popular and lots of celebrities ranging from pseudo-celebs to actual celebrities are vocal fans. So that makes me even more obsessed with the evolution of this rumor into the mainstream. Basically, the word on the street is that Freddie Prince Jr. allegedly has a diaper fetish. I was so delighted by the mainstream evolution of this rumor, so I decided to pose the question to Aaron in the style of a blind item. We were just in the car on the way back from Safeway, where, by the way, I got their fresh-pressed raspberry lemonade, and it's really good, so you should get it too. But that has nothing to do with this. I simply decided to ask him, which 90s teen heartthrob allegedly has a diaper fetish? And not even a millisecond passed before he confidently said, Freddie Prince Jr. How does she know? How do you know, you bitch? How do you know? No, wait, wait, wait. How do you know? That's basically how I responded, and he confirmed he never heard it anywhere previously, but I just found the exchange to be illuminating. He immediately asked if I was going to talk about this on the pod, and I said yes, even though I know people will think I'm lying. Again, I'm not lying. My point is, you don't need to settle for anything less than your soulmate. Before I move on to the season finale recap of Real Housewives of Vancouver, I need to talk about two things. Firstly, I want to discuss my feelings about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City premiere. But before I do that, I have to open up about some of my recent regressive behavior. I have been in a catfish wormhole. To clarify, I mean catfish the TV show and not like catfish the verb. I feel like that's an important distinction since I've previously shared my preteen and teenage catfish adventures with Reckless Abandon. I used to be super into the catfish TV show, but it started getting kind of stale and convoluted, so I fell off being a weekly watcher. Not only that, but Neve's covert narcissism definitely flew under my radar in 2013, but not any longer. I'm too old for that. Nevertheless, I needed some non-committal background noise, and they have every season on the CTV website. I did not misspeak. Yes, I said CTV and not MTV. I've been really pleasantly surprised by the amount of free content on there, both TV and movies. So just a hot tip for you Canadian queens, there's no sign up either. But that's besides the point. In this year, 2020, they're doing episodes via Zoom because of COVID, and there's also no more Max. I do miss Max because I enjoy his willingness to be mean, but I really like his replacement Cammy a lot. In my perfect world, I would like Cammy and Max to co-host and Neve to just be out of the picture entirely. But we can't always get what we want. 
The most recent season generally serves its purpose as the background noise that I was seeking out in the first place, but there's one season eight episode that I found truly compelling and I just want to quickly recommend. It was pulled from streaming, but you can find it elsewhere. It is season eight, episode 12, Kristen and Sarah. I believe it's uploaded on Daily Motion, but I found the link on the Catfish the TV show subreddit. I'll be spoiling it a little bit, but basically it was pulled from streaming because Kristen, the catfish victim, was catfishing other people with pictures of dead kids. The episode itself seems like it's really contrived and staged when you watch it because TLDR, the catfish victim, was ultimately getting revenge catfished by someone she had catfished in the past named Tiffany. And Tiffany was like, ha, got you, bitch. And it seemed it's like, okay, we get it. But I suggest you watch the episode and then search the Catfish subreddit for Kristen and Sarah to learn more about the details. Because the show truly only scratched the surface. On the episode, they only speak of one of Kristen's catfish personas, but she was actually talking to Tiffany as 22 different people. Not only that, they live in sort of a small town in the middle of nowhere, and Kristen exclusively used photos of other locals, their children, and then used those photos to catfish other locals. If you take my sage advice and search the subreddit, you'll also find a TikTok account of Kristen's former best friend who was catfished by her for several years, along with receipts. There are tons of other local people who shared their stories, along with receipts, again, on the various threads, and I'm just completely obsessed. I wanted to share my truth about that episode since no one's really checking for catfish the same way they used to. If you've never seen the show, period, or you just want my recommendations anyway, let me just wrap up by giving you my personal picks for the best episodes. Keep in mind, none of these have happy endings. Like, they're not the people in the pictures. So, my favorite of all time is Artis and Jess. Season 2, Episode 9. And then other good episodes, we have Lucas and Many, which is Season 5, Episode 13. Antoine and Tony, Season 3, Episode 2. Spencer and Katie, Season 5, Episode 15. Ari and Lanham, Season 6, Episode 9. Then Ramon and Paula, Season 2, Episode 3. Now that I've rehashed an old favorite, allow me to talk about something that's super fresh and new. In fact, it's less than 24 hours old. Real Housewives of Salt Lake City premiered last night, and I honestly wasn't excited when this franchise was announced. I was expecting something pretty homogenous and bland, but that's far from what they eventually delivered. Leading up to the premiere, I remember rumblings on Reddit that most of the cast were heavily into QAnon, which is something I like to read about from afar to, like, know the enemy, but I absolutely don't want to see that garbage getting a platform on a major television network. 
As it turns out, the Q queens weren't actually cast, although there is an actual cult leader in the mix. More on that in just a bit. Basically, the premiere totally subverted and exceeded my original expectations. For starters, only one of them is presently Mormon, which I was really surprised because when you think Utah, you think Mormon. The one presently Mormon woman is Lisa, who in my assessment really wants to be the Bethany of the franchise and is actively trying to make that happen, but she's simply nothing of the sort. Jen is our first Pacific Islander housewife who was raised Mormon, but she converted to Islam as an adult. We have Whitney, and she was allegedly Mormon royalty. I don't know what that means, but she said she was. She was excommunicated from the Mormon religion after having an affair with her married boss, who she is now married to. Then Heather is Whitney's cousin, who was also Mormon. She owns a med spa. But she rebuked Mormonism because she loves gays, among other things that aren't morally compatible with the faith. Then there's Meredith, and she's a Jewish jewelry designer with a creepy husband, along with a prominently featured gay son. And then we have Mary, and she's a Pentecostal cult leader who is married to her step-grandfather. I don't want to give away too much, But a close friendship has broken down because housewife A told housewife B that she smells like hospital. Housewife C and D have been friends for over a decade, but housewife C claims not to know housewife D, despite recalling specific shady details about her and spreading them to the group. Additionally, one of their fathers looks like he's in Panic at the Disco. That's all I have to say about it because I really want to get to the Vancouver recap, but the purpose of this is to say you should watch it if you were previously on the fence or disinterested. As of a few hours ago, I believe it was posted on the Bravo YouTube channel in full, so there's no excuse. As always, feel free to DM me if you want to talk about it because I'm all in on Salt Lake City. I also have the detailed uh, Reddit post detailing Mary's transgressions within her congregation, and it explains why I referred to her as a cult leader, so I'll happily pass it along to anyone who asks. It was actually deleted off of Reddit, but it can be accessed via the remove Reddit website. Salt Lake City is also weirdly beautiful, which I had no previous knowledge of, which is likely because I had no knowledge of Salt Lake City, period, besides associating it with Mormonism. Salt Lake City is not the only franchise with beautiful mountains and batshit insane women, so let's finally get to the heart of the matter and talk Vancouver. This is the season finale, but there's a two-part reunion I'll cover in full next episode. I also plan to move on by covering the second and final season as well, but I'm considering bringing another show into the mix and switching off week by week to keep things varied for the sake of everyone listening as well as myself. I do love doing these, but since 
Real Housewives of Vancouver is the first like entire season I've recapped week by week. I've really started to appreciate how it feels more like a job to watch it since I have to take notes and everything. Obviously, I still enjoy the process or else I wouldn't be doing it. But that's why I'm kind of considering doing one week Real Housewives Vancouver, next week whatever, and then switching back and forth. But that remains to be seen. Clearly, I have a lot to figure out in my life. And that's just adding to the list. So we start off the episode and we're still at Mary's event. Everyone is reeling in the aftermath of Mia getting kicked out. Everyone that we see is basically rejoicing because everyone fucking hates Mia and they agree that it's just what she deserves. Jody and Mia are back at their apartment and Jody is truly in tears over the situation. In her own words, I'm so upset. I'm sick over it. I'm heartbroken. I'm sick about it. Mia's being a martyr queen, and she dares to pose the question, who kicks out a young girl at a charity event? I'd like to take this time to remind everyone listening that Mia is both 25 years old, and she's previously thrown wine bottles at people at this man's other establishments, which is why she's banned in the first place. As usual, the Twisted Sister sees the opportunity to talk shit about Mary and how she'll never be a pop star at 50 years old. Nothing surprises me with these two anymore, but frankly, well, to quote Jody, let's be frank about it, I'm so jealous at their sense of entitlement that allows them to enter an establishment they're formally banned from, then act shell-shocked and hurt when they're asked to leave legendary behavior as usual. Reiko and Ronnie are off shoe shopping at Holt Renfrew, which sparked jealousy within me because I really want to go shoe shopping. I still have a lot of shoes, but I had to get rid of some of them when I moved from Boston to Vancouver, and there's been a hole in my heart ever since. Ideally, I want some pink Louboutins. This excursion is Ronnie's way of decompressing before her rehab wine launch, which she's extremely frazzled about. While they're living, laughing, and loving at the Fru, Reiko establishes that she and Jody have not spoken one word in weeks and that she's just done with her entirely. I think that's fair based on the fact that Jody stole like $3,000 from her and won't apologize, among other things. Ronnie wants them to stop talking about each other behind their back, but she then contradicts herself by saying Jody doesn't talk behind Reiko's back. Interesting. Very interesting. It wouldn't be Ronnie if she didn't play both sides of the fence, so she mentions that Jody has moved on beyond Christina and Mary to Reiko. This is inarguably true, 100%. But Ronnie's always trying to have it both ways, so as a viewer, it's kind of difficult to deduce how she actually feels. There's a criminally low amount of Christina in this episode, which is especially insulting because it's her swan song, because she's a one-and-done housewife. We don't see her next season. This is it. Nevertheless, we get to see her eat lunch with Mary and Reiko, 
in there just rehashing Mia getting ousted from Mary's charity event. Christina plainly states that Jody and Mia are greedy, narcissistic psychopaths. I don't have a medical degree, so I'm not the one to confirm or deny this, but I am inclined to agree based purely on anecdotal evidence. Reiko, at least this stage in her life, was too normal to be an effective reality star because this following segment was obviously prompted by production, but she doesn't quite have the finesse to make that segue organic. It could be sloppy editing, it could be her, it could be both. I think it's both, to be honest, but just out of nowhere, she abruptly asks about the secondhand store comments that we stopped talking about weeks ago. Christina explains that it's illegal to sell Hermes bags if you aren't a licensed seller, which Jody is not, and Jody sells Hermes bags, ergo, they must be secondhand or fake. Reiko then immediately moves on to how Jody doesn't know the meaning of friendship, which seems to be true no matter how weirdly Reiko announced it. She's just hoping there won't be a confrontation at Ronnie's wine launch, and she intends to avoid Jody at all costs. Smart move. I think I would do the same. And that brings us to Ronnie's wine launch. She and her son Jordan are doing a walkthrough of the venue as things are being set up, which of course leads them to just butt heads about various minutiae. It all quickly gets ironed out and her event goes well, but in the process of getting things ready, she just straight up starts pouring herself shots of vodka. It's unpleasant to watch, but I can't judge because I get it. Reiko, Mary, and Christina are all riding in a limo together to the launch, and Reiko's friend Darla is also there as her date. Immediately, she starts shitting on Jody. Apparently, no one in this peripheral circle likes Jody or Mia except for Ronnie. We had Reiko, who was hanging on by a thread, but evidently, her friends have always seen the truth. Jody and Mia are nowhere to be seen so far, but of course they show up late. For what it's worth, Ronnie says she loves them because they're good fun and they've always been nice to her. That's quite the criteria for friendship. The wine label for rehab truly belongs on a graphic tee at Spencer's or one of those Facebook shirts that you see on sponsored ads. It's a silhouette of Ronnie hanging from a chandelier. Don't mess with a woman who loves wine and hangs from chandeliers and was born in November. Thankfully, this batch is better than the original rancid bottle, and everyone seems to love it. We also see in the background Ronnie's son Jordan pouring wine into Christina's mouth, which was sexually charged and weird, but hilarious. To remind you of the optics, Jordan is 23 and Christina allegedly just turned 30. For obvious reasons, Mary and Reiko are avoiding Jody, but we're treated to an incredible Jody confessional in which she says, avoiding Mary and Reiko? Ha ha ha. No. She laughs like a Disney villain. It's preposterous. From here on out, the event just becomes the Jody and Mia show. 
it cuts to me speaking to a random woman saying, everyone knows I'm a bitch. And the woman responding is just like, we haven't met yet. I feel this is Mia's energy in a nutshell, which incidentally is also very Facebook t-shirt. Everyone knows I'm a bitch who was born in November. There's lots of footage of Jody and Mia seemingly just yelling at no one in particular. Then Jody finally gains some sense of direction by accosting Mary's friend, Fiona. She just outright says, with no prompt that we can see, she just charges right up to Fiona and says, You have a lot of facial surgery, and I was shocked. Your arms are quite chubby. I'm wealthy and self-made, and I'm not like Mary. I'm not weak and disgusting. I swear I'm not hyperbolizing or leaving out context. Jody really came in this hot and this aggressive to this random-ass woman who just happens to be friends with Mary. She's literally feral. Reiko is continuing to hang back with Darla and steer clear, but apparently Jody is not a fan of Darla. According to Mia, Darla's a rat, the biggest, tackiest, ugh, is what she says. We then see no real interaction between Mia and Darla, except for Mia making loud vomiting gestures directly at Darla while pantomiming a fingers-down-the-throat motion. Even the number one claim and apologist Ronnie eventually is just like, what the fuck, and kicks them out. Leading up to that, Mia says Darla's lying about the incident that we just all saw with our own eyes, and Jody says it was a setup. On their way out, Mia yells, you're next, at Darla and literally pushes her. Jody also says goodbye by yelling out of absolutely nowhere, Reiko, your infidelity is disgusting, you cheat on your husband. I cannot even fathom how stressful Jody and Mia would be to interact with on any level, separately but especially together. Ronnie's pretty furious while Jody says she and Mia are in a safe haven in reference to the elevator. I'm so glad they were able to find refuge after being so brutally targeted and attacked. God bless them. The next morning, we see Ronnie with her personal trainer, who I think she said before used to be the bodyguard for the Queen of England. Jury's still out on whether or not that's true but she's getting her anger out by boxing super aggressively. She's furious about Jody as she should be. And I just can't believe it took her this long to be mad at Jody in some respect. She's determined to get all of the women together to air out their issues and find peace. We see her call everybody one by one, and Reiko, Mary, and Christina all immediately say no at first, but eventually acquiesce. Ronnie lies to Jody outright to get her to come, which is a smart move. She's talking her language. She tells Jody that what Darla did was so wrong and disgusting simply to just manipulate. I'm typically an advocate for clear communication and not playing games, especially as an adult. But as I said, it's really the only language or currency that Jody seems to understand. So make lemons out of lemonade. 
Ronnie just can't help being a hashtag girl boss. The lunch that ensues is truly spectacular. I know that we all love Roni, Scary Island, Beverly Hills, Dinner from Hell, etc. But I think this deserves to be mentioned side by side with those power players. I never really hear it get referenced. And that ends today. As usual, Jody's wearing sunglasses inside at the lunch. Mary asks her to remove them, and she says it's because Jody can't look any of them in the eye. Jody says, I'm a person of morals and manners, and refuses to remove her sunglasses. Honestly, me, when I went through a phase of wearing sunglasses inside, because I did not want to be seen without three-foot-long fake eyelashes, but... I'm past that for now. Reiko begins by asking simply, what is your problem, Jody?" And Jody says that Reiko doesn't understand how business works. She also pulls out a good old, let's talk about the husband, further implicating that Reiko cheats. I don't even know if this is true, but the fact that Jody's pulled it out of thin air and there hasn't been any subtle passive-aggressive hints up to this point leads me to believe that it just isn't true. Ronnie asks Jody how she feels about Mia physically assaulting people, which is in reference to her pushing Darla last night, but let us not forget she's done the same to Mary as well. Jody says that Mia has a different personality than her, but Queen Christina speaks for the first time and says, not really, actually. She took the thoughts right out of my skull. Honestly, to me, Mia and Jody seem closer to twins than mother and daughter. They're like the evil tethers of Darcy and Stacy Silva to me. Jody responds by saying Christina is a $10,000 a night hooker, and Christina just says, I wish. It's such a shame we didn't get a second season out of her because she's so much fun and I love how she deals with Jody. but I can understand why this was more than enough for her. Like, I truly can't imagine being contractually obligated to speak to Jody, also some of the other women, but Jody in particular, since she's a package deal along with Mia. Eventually, things finally circle back to the secondhand rumor that started it all and Jody says they're vintage, not secondhand. So in other words, they're literally secondhand, just like everyone said. Ronnie loses her shit and finally picks a side. She outright tells Jody, you're evil, fuck you. And she demands that Jody apologize to everyone. If you recall, most of Jody's insane bullying and threats of legal action this season especially toward Mary in particular, are all because of these secondhand claims that we're now finding out from her own mouth were all true to begin with. I would expect nothing less, but Jody refuses to apologize and instead says they should apologize to her. Classic. I personally feel so vindicated in this moment because Ronnie says in front of everyone that she should have stood up for Mary, she'll never speak to Jody again, and that Jody has no morals and is a horrible liar. 
Jody gets up to leave and the remaining women clink their glasses. That's where we leave our ladies of the West Coast, but here are those little after-show updates they display on each cast member. Christina hasn't spoken to any of her friends since, but is still working on finding husband number three. Reiko still loves to shop, just not at Jody's store. They haven't spoken since. Mary is working on a music video for her single, a new album, in her tequila-based cooler. Stay tuned. Ronnie is contemplating making a new red wine or selling the vineyard. Jody and her daughter Mia continue to build their fashion empire one vintage Hermes bag at a time. Jody is by herself in the limo and literally just evilly cackling to herself, as I would both expect and hope. So we did it, kids. There is season one of Real Housewives of Vancouver. As I said, I'll be covering the entire reunion next week, and then I'll be moving on to season two, which is even more deeply fucked up and wild. Whether or not I bring other shows into the schedule is TBD, but it's a definite possibility. You can find me on IG at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, or the pod on IG at Real Housewives of Neopia. If you want to support this pod for as low as 99 cents monthly, there is a link to do so at the bottom of every episode description. I love all of you guys dearly, and I truly appreciate your unwavering patience as well as all of your amazing messages and feedback. Please rate and review if you feel so inclined. I will see you all soon. Bye.